Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now let's join the service already in progress. So uh, turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. It says, uh, He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Say that with me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It sounds like, a, like such a simple concept, but it's, it's more difficult to receive than you realize. The idea that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our text scripture for the day. Today I'm going to talk to you about a concept, part four, in our Jesus First, Jesus Always series. The message today is called Always. Father, thank you for your presence, for your goodness, all these amazing people that are here. Thank you for our story the journey that you brought on, brought us on, Lord. The guy that I talked to in the parking lot after the 11:30 service last week that walked up to me with tears and said, "I don't even belong here. I'm not a church person, but this place has changed my life." I thank you, God, that none of us are church people. God, we none of us deserve it, but you've brought us on this journey and you've led all of us to the same moment, being in the same grace of Jesus, in the same room at the same time. There's something beautiful about that. I thank you that none of us deserve this love, but help, just like that guy was struggling to process how you could love him so much, let me struggle to process today how you could love me that much because that's how good you are. I, I, wanna, I wanna have to deal with that, Lord, every time I'm in your presence, processing how you're so amazing and wonderful that you could love me. Let us all feel that way today, just like that guy did. As we receive your word, let us do it humbly, God, and let it change our hearts and lives and help me communicate it in a way that honors you. And God, I pray for Dak Prescott tonight that he would throw five touchdowns. And Lord, that the Carolina Panthers would be completely inept on offense and score zero. Something like 35 to zero would be good, Lord. But whatever you want, I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So who remembers... <laughs> Who remembers, uh, who remembers, this is a little bit of a trick question. How about my man Kyle? Give Kyle a huge hand up here. Look at my boy Kyle right there. Look at his arms. The si- if I could have your arms, I would have, the, I'd have a better physique here, Kyle. You got some good arms going on there. So who remembers, this is a little bit of a trick question. Don't throw out there the first thing that comes to your mind because you get it wrong. Who remembers the name of the song? Okay, I'm looking for song name, not movie name. Who remembers the name of the song in the Whitney Houston movie that Kevin Costner was in? Who, who knows the name of the song? You remember? Say it. What was the name of the movie? Can I tell you something? You guys are going to be disappointing me. I've never seen The Bodyguard. And, gosh. Man, are all the ladies going to leave my church now? This is... Okay, I'll tell you what, I need some advice. If you're a dude and you've seen The Bodyguard, raise your hand real quick. Should I watch it, dudes? Okay, okay. If you're a guy, okay, so I won't watch it today because the Cowboys are playing, but I'll watch it tomorrow. I'm going to watch The Bodyguard. But I think one of the things about, uh, one of the things about that song, uh, well, another little tiny trivia question. I bet there are people in here that know this. Someone else made that a hit before Whitney Houston. Does anyone know who that was? Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. So the song itself has always been a really good song, whether you love it or not, or you've heard it too many times or not. There's something really powerful about that chorus opening up and I will always love you. There's something that just like speaks to us about the idea of a love that lasts forever. There's something really moving about that whole idea. And I think that 
always is something that we crave. Uh, when we're thinking of things that are good in our lives, we don't want sometimes. We want always. Great relationship, always. Great food, always. Oh, wow. You're even more in relationships on the food. This is, this is a cool crew here. I like this. Uh, shelter, always. Uh, you know, security, always. We want always, but sometimes we're not very good at keeping our end of the bargain to make always happen. Sometimes we, uh, we kind of wimp out on the commitment side of things. And, and sometimes we can even do some self-sabotage and things that are great uh, through our inconsistency or our lack of confidence in what we've got going, we can cause things to fail. I think the tattoo removal industry is proof that we're not really good at making always happen sometimes. Things that we have the best intentions of keeping long-term, um, you know, just, just don't end up working out. But the idea that I will never leave you or forsake you, that's, that's the opening scripture. I had you all repeat it from, from Deuteronomy 31.6. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy to say. It's hard to accept. It's hard to truly process and grasp what that is. I told you that story. Man, I hope that guy is here today. I'm not sure if he's here. Uh, he, he was so cool. I was just on my way out to my car, and I got to meet him, and he's like, he's like you know, Pastor, he's like, I, I don't even go to church. He's like, I'm not even a church person. He's like, but this place has changed my life. I said, well, number one, I said, I just want to tell you something. Don't ever say that again because you're a God person. It don't matter if you're a church person or not. You're a God person because the same God that saved me is the God that saved you. And, and you're going, and, he, and it was so cool at the end of the conversation when I was leaving, I was saying bye to everyone. He goes, he was like thinking the whole time. He's like, you're right, Pastor. He's like, I'm a God person. He's like, I, I was like, yeah, that's what's up. Yeah. So, so I love that. I think that same, he, he, what he's doing is by, by saying I'm not a church person, is he's processing in his head how good God is. And he's going, I realize I am not good enough for this. I realize he's, it almost seems too good to be true. And what I was trying to tell him is, yes, it is too good to be true for all of us. But instead of pushing it away, we have to learn how to receive it and accept it. Yeah. Isaiah 7.14 is an Old Testament scripture before Jesus is ever born that's prophesying uh, that Jesus is going to be born of a virgin. And it says that, He's gonna, uh, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, will, and his name will be Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. So one of the names of God means I am with you. I am not going to walk out on you. I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you. I think one of our problems as people is that we've had so many people that have hurt us, so many people that have walked out on us, so many people that have been unfaithful to us that every little time we get hurt, we want to put up our guard, and we don't want to be able to receive something that is beautiful and wonderful and as expansive and dynamic as the love of God. So we put up these walls and we don't allow God to love us the way he wants to love us because we're comparing it to the love that we've experienced from people, which is flawed. Romans 5.8 teaches us about this love. It teaches us about how huge it is, how much it overlooks all the little things. I love it. It says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that the moment they were nailing him to the cross, he wasn't thinking, ooh, someday 
Jeff is going to preach that really good sermon. No, 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 no. He wasn't looking at you and saying, oh, someday they're finally going to go to church and finally going to read. No, it says, while we were yet sinners. It means on our absolute worst day. Is there anybody here? There's a lot of good looking people in this room, but is there anybody here that you ever wake up sometimes and you go look in the mirror? I'm talking about before you've had a shower, before you've had a chance to touch your hair. Is there anyone else here that sometimes you look in the mirror at yourself, you've got a big old line across your face where you were sleeping on the pillow sideways, and you look at your face and you go, Ugh! is there anyone else that you look at yourself and you have a hard time even believing that's you? How about is there anybody here that you've been doing something on your phone, holding your phone down here, and you accidentally turn the camera on and it comes from that low angle? That angle that if you were to put that picture on Instagram, you would just die. You can't imagine. It's the word. Like your chin looks like it's three times bigger than it is. Your face looks twice as big as it is. You get, your mouth is open. You know, you just look. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that God died through his son Jesus. Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for the person before you put the smooth skin filter on. Jesus died for the person before you shrunk the width of your cheeks with the app that makes you look a little skinnier. Before the love handle removal app. When you're at the beach and you're like, and you just suck it in a little bit in the app, you're like, that's what's up. And people are like, oh, Pastor Jeff, have you been dieting? You're like, maybe. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Jesus died for that you. The messed up one. The one that doesn't look good. The one that doesn't get it right. The one that doesn't say the right thing. The ones whose heart is, is for yourself and not anyone else. The one who is in shame and guilt and in failure. He didn't do it because he knew you would get it right. He did it because he loves you. Why does he love you? That's, that's really the, where this should lead us. Why does he love us like that? It can't be because we are so dynamic. The only rational answer for a love like that has to be he loves us like that because he is so dynamic. It has to be about how great he is, not about how great we are. He is secured our love and our relationship with himself forever through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. I'm going to tell a really strange story here. And, and I understand there's a lot of different Sunday mornings. is a really beautiful day at City of Life Church because we've got a lot of people that are, you know, been to church for years that come to church. And there's a lot of people that your families are new in church and you're just sort of learning about the faith. And, and, and I try to keep it like, you know, in, in a good balance where I'm speaking to everyone. This is a little out there, so, so bear with me. Uh, but I, I feel like this is something that can help teach us a, a cool lesson about how much God loves us and how much he has given everything and done it all himself for us. In Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And he tells him, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars. The only reason we can find at all that God would ever choose this guy, Abraham, to be like the father of many nations is because Abraham has faith in God. He has a little faith in God. He really doesn't do anything inherently good. And, and by the way, the faith that he has was given to him by God in the first place. So anyways, Abram 
says, God, you promised me all this stuff, but how do I know you're going to do it? See, we're always wanting proof. How do I really know that you're going to do it? And listen to what God says to him. He, he says, go and get me. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So a Abram says, you said you're going to bless me, but I'm a little nervous. I need some proof. What can you do? And God says, go get me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Verse 10, listen to this. It says, Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Okay, so before you go thinking that uh, the founder of, of uh, our faith is like a, a psychopath, because it does sound insane to take all these animals, and it says he cuts them in half. Like, from, from top to bottom, in half. He halves them. We're talking blood, guts, the, the, the carcasses, the body. They're in basically, a path is made in between these two halves of animals. If you're saying, why would he do something so gross immediately after God tells him? Because when God says, bring me these animals, the light bulb comes on to Abram because there is a covenant process back in this time. And this was the process. If you were entering into a deal with someone, it was customary to take these valuable animals, to cut them in half, and to make a path down the middle. And what you would do is you would walk down the middle of the path with the person that you were cutting the covenant with. And in essence, the the whole purpose of walking down the middle, you were saying to the other person, if I do not keep my end of the bargain, may exactly what happened to these animals' bodies happen to my body. Abram is looking for some assurance from God that these promises are true. And God says, oh, you want assurance? Well, go get me these animals. And Abram's like, oh my gosh, he's about to make a covenant with me. He arranges the covenant. He gets everything split in half, ready to walk down the middle with God. And it says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So he doesn't walk through it. He's, he's waiting for God to speak or to, to do this covenant. All of a sudden he falls asleep. And it says, when the sun had set in verse 17 and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared... And passed between the pieces. I told you this was a strange story. It sounds like the missing Harry Potter episode. Because Abram is asleep and he looks up. you got these carcasses. you got this path down the middle. And all of a sudden, a smoking pot and a flaming torch floating between the pieces. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, that is what theologians call a theophany. A, theoph a theophany is a visible manifestation of God that's represented in some other kind of thing. Like, remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they, God was leading them in the daytime by a cloud. At nighttime, he would lead them through a ball of fire that was in the air. Remember when Moses saw the burning bush and God was in the bush, the Bible says, and that theophany represented the very manifest presence of God, or in Mount Sinai, uh, when the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, his, his presence filled the top of the mountain like a cloud, like smoke. That is a theophany that represents the presence of God. And in the same way in this story, Abraham does not walk through the pieces with God and fulfill his end of the deal. God keeps both ends of the deal himself. He keeps man's end of the deal, 
and he keeps his own end of the deal. And the crazy part about it is if Abraham would have walked through there himself, he doesn't have the ability to fulfill his end of the deal when it comes to God because we can't keep the law of God. But by God walking through it himself, in essence, he's foreshadowing Jesus, his son, walking through those pieces and realizing that man can't keep the end of the deal, so Jesus has to do it himself, and he's still going to suffer the consequences and the fate of those animals. He's going to shed his blood, but through the redemption of the Lord, God is going to keep both ends of the deal himself. And what I love about this story is you know what Abraham had to do to receive this dynamic promise of God? He had to go to sleep. Don't you think that too many of us are trying too hard to earn all the promises of God that he actually wants to give to us because he's good enough to keep both ends of the deal himself? Too many of us are trying to work to earn the goodness of God. And Abraham didn't receive it by working. He received it by falling asleep. (laughs) He received it because God is just so good. He gave him this revelation. God is not impressed by what we offer him, but he is moved by what we are willing to receive. See, we have to learn it's not impressive what we're willing to offer. Go, Oh, God, I'm a good singer. He's like, okay, uh, but can you receive my love? Oh, I'm a great preacher. I mean, it's great. There's a lot of them out there. But but do you understand what grace is? Can you receive what I've done for you and share that with other people? Oh, I'm a great businessman. I'm really rich. I've got a lot to offer. That's fantastic. There's a lot of rich people in the world. But do you understand what my son is all about, how much he loved you on your absolute worst day? Can you receive it? God is moved by what we're willing to receive. He's not impressed by what we offer, but he's moved by what we're willing to receive. I... uh, I love, the, I love the story of, of Peter. Um, Peter is, to me, is one of my favorite Bible characters because he's constantly messing up and putting his foot in his mouth, and I feel like it's just like me. Um, and and I, I love the redemptive aspect of, of Peter. Uh, when Peter first meets Jesus in Luke chapter 5, he's just a rough-around-the-edges fisherman. He's just a dude that he's a cussing, you know, hanging out, spitting, you know, not bathing for a bunch of days, dude. And, and it, there's this story where he's fishing, and he doesn't even really know Jesus. And Jesus walks up to him, and he's like, hey, guys, why don't you cast your uh, nets out and launch out into the deep a little more, and you'll catch some fish. And he goes, hey, we've, it's Peter's like, he doesn't even really know him. He's like, we've tried that already. We've been fishing all day. It hasn't worked. He's like, just try it. And so he goes out, and he, he throws the net out there. And all of a sudden, they catch so many fish. This is the first encounter he's ever really had with Jesus. He doesn't even know Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's such a huge catch that it says when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He all of a sudden realizes that God is so good. Jesus is so good. The kindness and the mercy and the grace and the gifts that he wants to give him are so good that he is unworthy. So there is a desire in the initial contact with Jesus when he realizes how good God is. Rather than any other thing, he says, get away from me. He wants to create distance between himself and Jesus because he feels so unworthy. We move on to Matthew chapter 14 and the next encounter that Peter has with how good Jesus is. Jesus is walking out on the water one night and they look out and the disciples, being the spiritual people they were, they thought it was a ghost. And they're freaking out and everyone thinks it like an apparition is chasing them down. But all of a sudden, Peter's like, 
Lord, if that's really you, Jesus said, it's me. He's like, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus is like, come to me. Peter is the only one who jumps out of the boat. He gets a lot of criticism because he ended up sinking, but I got news for you. None of those other jokers had the guts to get out. So he gets out, and he goes, Jesus. He starts walking on the water. Jesus, it's you. He starts realizing it's not about me. It's about how good Jesus is. The first time I met you, I wanted to create distance when I realized how good you were. I, didn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't receive you. But he starts coming toward Jesus going, I want to receive you. I want to receive you. But then all of a sudden it says he got his eyes on the wind and the waves and started freaking out. And he got his eyes off Jesus and back on himself. And what did he do? He sank down in the water again. And Jesus said, oh, why do you have such little faith, Peter? You had it. Why didn't you just keep going? Why didn't you just keep receiving it? Why didn't you keep just moving forward? Why didn't you just accept who I want to be to you? You made it about you, Peter. And then finally, in, in our last story, and, and Kyle and the band, you guys can come up. In our last story, we have the story of Peter, what happens to him when he rejects Jesus the final time where he rejects Jesus. Now, you say, well, why don't we just receive it? I don't get it. Why don't we just receive it? I think pride has a lot to do with it. I think many times we're too proud to receive. Can I get an amen from anybody here today? If you don't understand what I'm talking about, let me give you a couple of examples. I was in Africa. I was in Nigeria. And this really sweet guy walked up to me after I preached at this multi-thousand member church one night. This guy walked up with his beat up watch. And he said, Pastor, I want to give you my watch. He goes, this is, this is for you. I, I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. I just looked at it, it was so beat up. And I said, no, that's okay, buddy. I said, that's your watch. I said, I don't wanna take your watch. He goes, no, please take my watch. And I mean, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because I have a lot of watches and I was like, I was thinking I probably won't wear it. I probably got other watches. But I, I almost was too proud to receive it. And all of a sudden, this dude turns on me and he goes, wow, you're really going to rob me of my blessing. I was like, I am a jerk. I was like, no, 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 I'm sorry, man. I said, here, let me, let me take that watch. So I put it on my wrist. He grabbed me by the wrist and walked me around and said, look at this pastor. He's got my watch on. I gave it to him. Praise the Lord. And everyone was so excited. He got so blessed. But you know what? Not only did he get blessed, I got blessed. Because I learned what it feels like to receive a gift that I know I don't deserve. I didn't want him to give me that because I knew that it represented something of great value to him that I had not earned in any way. I'm just some American that came through and I'm preaching, but I knew that he worked hard for that and how difficult it was for him to earn that. I didn't want him to give it to me. About 15 years ago, I was... I say 15 because it's probably the last time I think I went grocery shopping. It was, I went grocery shopping. That's, we've been married for 17 years. And, and I went grocery shopping. I was by myself in line at the grocery store. And um, there was this really beautiful African-American lady that's standing in front of me. She just, she literally looked like she stepped out of a magazine. Business suit on, makeup perfect, hair perfect. Just, just had a real, just, just a sweet vibe about her. And I'm standing there and I felt the Lord speak to me. In my heart, I know when the Lord speaks to me, he said, give this woman $20 and tell her that I love her. And so like all these thoughts started going toward my mind. I'm like, but God, 
I look like I need to ask her for $20. Like she's like super, like I'm wearing flip-flops and shorts and like she's like, she's like a lovely person and I, I, she, I don't know if she's gonna get upset or whatever if I say this. So he said, give her $20 and tell her that I love her. And I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So she gets her stuff and she hustles over to the door and so I'm like, ah, oh. so I, I run, I, I, I leave the line and I run and I walk up to her, I say, excuse me, ma'am. I said, I, I'm just sorry to interrupt you like this. I said, but I just, I was standing back there and I just felt like the, felt like the Lord told me to come up to you and to give you this $20 and, and just to let you know that he really, really loves you. And she goes, do I look like I need $20? And I go, ooh, I said, no, you don't at all. I said, but uh, I'm sorry. I said, I just, I felt like I was supposed to do that. And she was like, Ugh. and she just walks outside and goes and gets in her brand new black Mercedes. I'm like, wow, I don't know how to hear from God. And so I'm standing there and she pulls around in her car. Now it starts raining, I'm standing in the rain. Her car is about to leave and she kind of slows down a little bit. And I just did this, I kind of knocked on her window and she rolls down her window and she goes, what? And I, I said, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden she, she is looking at me and she puts her head down on her steering wheel and it's right in the middle of this parking lot. She just starts crying, just weeping. And I said, I said ma'am, I'm sorry. I said, are you okay? She said, I lied to you. She said, my husband left me and my daughters this morning and he emptied out every single dime from our bank account. She said, the money that I just spent on groceries is the last dime that I have to my name. She said, I need that $20 more than you can imagine. And I said, well, ma'am, I said, here, take this also. I want, I'm a pastor, I want you to come. I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night. She came and gave her heart to Jesus right here on that Wednesday night and attended our church for almost three years before she moved. She told me, when she came, she said, did you know that I was too proud to receive what you wanted to give me because I didn't want to admit I needed it? The reason I share that story is it's like my story with the watch. One of the things that keeps us from receiving something so beautiful is when we, we feel too proud to receive it. The spirit of pride refuses to receive. There's a different kind of spirit. The spirit of entitlement is different. The spirit of entitlement demands to receive. That's also a spirit that is not able to receive true blessing because it feels like you've earned it or you deserve it. And when it comes to the kingdom, people that ask for what they deserve better be careful in the kingdom because you won't like it if you get what you deserve. See, but the spirit of gratitude is thankful to receive. The spirit of gratitude, whenever we get a beautiful gift, we're willing to receive it. I think we see that in this last story with Peter because Jesus predicts to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. The third time on the night that Jesus is crucified. The third time that Peter denies him. It's like a movie. Someone says, you know him. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, Luke 22, the words hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, you're gonna deny me. A rooster crowed the moment he said, I don't know him. It says, at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And he went out and he cried and he cried and he cried. So this Peter that was in the boat when 
the, the fishing wasn't working and Jesus says, go deeper. The one that goes, get away from me, you're too good, I, I, I'm too sinful. The same Peter that when Jesus was walking on the water, jumps out of the boat and starts to get it a little bit. He goes, actually, I do wanna come toward you. I do wanna, but then all of a sudden he gets caught up in the cares of life and he messes up. The same one has to look Jesus in the eye the third time he denies him. What happens to Peter is Peter goes into a deep depression. Jesus gets crucified. He's resurrected and now he's like, walking around but Peter's like bummed out because he's like the scapegoat of the church everyone knows he was supposed to be the leader so what does he do he goes fishing see Jesus already told him in that first encounter he goes but I'm just a fisherman he goes oh don't worry homie I'm gonna turn you into a fisher of men you're gonna do what you did before you're just gonna do it differently I'm gonna take your past I'm gonna take your past and I'm gonna use it your skill set that you developed that you thought was worthless, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna flip it, and you're gonna use it for kingdom things. So what does Peter do? Is Peter goes back to the old life when he doesn't know what else to do. You know why? Because a man cut off from his future will always go back to his past. And Peter's out in the middle of the water with all of his friends, all the other disciples. He says, come with me, let's go fishing. They're out there fishing, and you know what? They're catching nothing. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what his life looked like before he knew Jesus. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice from the shore. And the voice from the shore calls out to him. He says, hey, friend, you don't have any fish, do you? And Peter doesn't recognize that voice because Jesus is doing that thing where he's sort of disguising himself a little bit. You don't have any fish, do you? And he's like, nah, we've been out here all night. We ain't got nothing. And he goes, how about throw your net on the other side? You've been doing this one thing. You've been walking away from the life I've called you to, working on this side. How about you try something different? How about you go to the thing that actually is going to work in your life? Do the opposite of what you've been doing. And he said, okay, let me try that. I don't know who you are, but might as well. It can't hurt anything. And when they throw the net on the other side, the net becomes so full to overflowing. And all of a sudden, John, who is on the boat, looks at the catch. He doesn't look at Jesus, he looks at the catch, and he goes, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He doesn't look at Jesus, he looks at the catch, and he goes, this is familiar. I remember what it feels like to be in the presence of God when things start working. It's Jesus. Do you know what Peter does? Come on, give him a praise. Do you know what Peter does? Stay on your feet if you're on your feet. Do you know what Peter does? Peter's like in his underwear. He don't care. The moment John says it's Jesus, Peter is up there going over in his head, how come I didn't? How come I didn't accept this love before? Why the first time that I saw him? When I realized how much he loved me, why did I want to create distance from him? Why when I was, he's thinking all this stuff, why when he called me to walk to him in the water, I was on my way. I had figured it all out. I had figured out that the purpose of life is to move closer to him. Why did I get caught up on all the circumstances of life and quit? Why did I deny him? The moment John says it's Jesus, Peter's not the first one to realize it was Jesus, but it doesn't matter. 
He goes, I don't have to be the first one to realize it's him. I just have to be the first one to get to him. And he jumps off the front of the boat and just starts swimming as fast as he can. All the energy that he has, he says, I'm going to get to Jesus first. I'm going to close the gap between me and my Savior because I'm sick of living my life away from him. From this moment forward, it's Jesus always. Jesus always is the moment that you discover you can't live a single second of your life any longer creating distance between you and the Lord. It's the moment that you realize you don't deserve it now, you didn't deserve it then, and you will never deserve it in the future, but you don't care because you know he is so good and he loves you so much with the line across your face. He loves you with no filter. Come on, look at someone and say, he loves you with no filter. That's Jesus always. If you're trying to get this idea of what Jesus first, Jesus always means. Jesus always means, I'm always going to be with him. And he's always going to be with me. He's always going to be with me. said, Peter said, I'll never be worthy enough for this. And I get that. Finally, I received your love. You secured this thing on your own, Lord. I had nothing to do with it. You will never leave me. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't comprehend it, but I can receive it. I can receive it. And I'm going to tell you something today. Let me talk right to you today. Specifically, you individually. You won't quit. You will fail, but you will never quit loving him and serving him. You will get up when you are weak, tired, and broken, and you will keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? Because you know there is a longing in all of our heart for eternity and for always in permanence that has been put there by God, and the only way it can be filled is through Jesus always. You will not give up. You will not quit. You're going to make it Jesus always today. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text the dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.